You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. How many of us here today, and I can't raise my hand because it's not me, how many parents have we got here today in the church this morning? Fair few, fair few. We learn a lot from our parents, so I trust and hope that you as parents have taught a lot to your children. Especially from my dad, I learned a lot about music. And it may explain a little bit about why I am the way I am today. But dad was always in charge of music in the car. And the main thing we would always listen to, it was always either Led Zeppelin and other such Vietnam-era rock and roll, or gospel music. That was the spectrum. And by gospel music, I'm not talking about southern gospel music, like twangy country that you might think, being from Alabama. I'm talking about gospel music, primarily African-American gospel music, artists like John Franklin, B.B. and C.C. Winans, and if you don't know them, that's fine, but they're awesome. There's primarily one song that my dad taught me about called Mama Drug Me. It's an old gospel song, and that may be a confusing name. We're not talking about pharmaceuticals. It's about how Mama drugged me to church. The refrain of that song is, I'm so glad Mama and Dad drug me to church. My dad's mom did exactly that. She was a single mom. Uh, my, my grandfather, my dad's dad, died when my dad was very young. So his mom was a single mother, and she wanted what's best for her son. And I think as parents, that's ultimately what you want. You want the best for your children. Now, I am not a parent, but I have many nieces and nephews. There, there are children in my life that I do care deeply about, care about what happens in their lives. I understand that desire for wanting the best for the next generation, even though I myself am not a parent. We can be frustrated when what we teach doesn't stick. We may have times where they don't listen. I know that's probably not all that relatable, but there may be times where they don't listen. There may be times when they forget what has been taught. I'm sure that never happens, but maybe it happens. This is a hypothetical. But what's important for us as teachers, as parents, as leaders of future generations, to, to avoid that frustration when there's that lack of response, that frustration when there's a lack of listening, when there's a lack of understanding. This thing is sinking. <laughs> I'm going to do this all night, all day. What helps us is remembering that it's not ultimately about our persuasiveness. It's not ultimately about how well we can teach It's not about forcing them to trust God. And that's where we're going with this. We're going to see in our story this morning, picking up from last time, we saw God using Joseph to deliver his his family, his father Jacob, as as they, they went into famine. But because Joseph was in Egypt and had things set up where there would be food during the time of famine, Jacob and the rest of the covenant family were delivered, were saved. And so after that, where we're going to be picking up, is after God used Joseph to provide that initial salvation, Jacob and the rest of the family comes down to Egypt. And remember, Jacob thought Joseph was dead. He thought Joseph had been mauled by wild animals. His favorite son, he thought, was dead. But he's going to find out that, no, he's not. So we're going to have that reunion of father and son. And we're also going to see where we look today, uh, Genesis 48, just a heads up, um, we're going to see Jacob meeting his grandchildren. Joseph had two children while he was in Joseph. 
So two grandchildren that Jacob had never met, has not met yet. He's about to meet them. So we're going to see that reunion. And in looking at this, we're going to see how Jacob trusts God, who had delivered him. Remember Jacob being a part of the covenant. He's going to trust God to keep his promises. He's going to trust God to bless his children and grandchildren and beyond by bringing them into the covenant. And so looking today, again, at Genesis chapter 48, we're going to see four proper responses for us as Christians to God. Now, first I'm going to read for us. Again, we're in Genesis 48. And just to kind of set the stage for where we're headed, I'm going to read the first 14 verses. If you don't have a Bible to turn to Genesis 48, and there should be one right in front of you, I encourage you to please do that so that you can see that I am not making this up. I am reading God's word. So we're going to read from the first 14 verses, Genesis chapter 48, verses 1 through 14. Sometime after this, Joseph was told, your father is weaker. So he set out with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make many nations come from you, and I will give this land as a permanent possession to your future descendants. Your two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh belong to me just as Reuben and Simeon do. Children born to you after them will be yours and will be recorded under the names of their brothers with regard to their inheritance. When I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died along the way, some distance from Ephrath in the land of Canaan. I buried her there along the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons God has given me here. So Israel said, Bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now his eyesight was poor because of old age. He could hardly see. Joseph brought them to him, and he kissed and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, but now God has even let me see your offspring. Then Joseph took them from his father's knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Then Joseph took them both, with his right hand Ephraim toward Israel's left, and with his left hand Manasseh toward Israel's right, and brought them to Israel. But Israel stretched out his right hand and put it on the head of Ephraim, the younger, and crossing his hands, put his left on Manasseh's head, although Manasseh was the firstborn. And these first 14 verses of the chapter were setting the stage for where we're going to be camping for the remainder of our time this morning. We see Joseph coming to Jacob. Jacob has gotten old. He's getting weak. His, 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 physical, his body is fa- starting to fail him. We see Jacob, when the family comes to him, we see Jacob recap the covenant that God had made with him. We see him, we're going to see him give this blessing, which is where we're about to be, give him this blessing to Jacob's son, to jo- excuse me, to Joseph's sons, bringing them into the covenant. And we saw here, as we read, the continuing theme that keeps happening in Scripture, uh, God does not operate within cultural norms. He gives the primary blessing to the younger son rather than the elder. God is not bound by what's normal in our culture. So the first thing we see that God does, or the, the first response we see is that Jacob remembered what God has said. Look back with me again at verses 3 and 4, where Jacob recaps the covenant that God had made with him. Jacob had memory. He remembered what God had said to him. He said, God Almighty appeared to me, and he said, I'll make you fruitful and numerous. I'll make many nations come from you, 
and this land will be a permanent possession to your descendants. Jacob remembered what God had promised him. That is the foundation for us in our lives, to remember what God has said to us. If we don't remember what God has said to us, I mean, what else is there? The foundation for our lives, for our actions, for our our ethics, everything is, is based on what God has said to us. You may remember a few years back, and this makes me feel old. These movies are about 15 or so years old now. That's just, I hate that. But there was a series of movies called The Bourne Movies a few years back. You may never have thought you'd ever hear The Bourne Movies talked about in a sermon, but there is a point. It was this guy who had all these amazing fighting abilities, right? If you've seen him, you may remember this. But he, could, he, had, he had amnesia of some sort. He couldn't remember who he was. He couldn't remember how he had these abilities and what had happened. And the whole driving force of the, of the movies, despite him having all these skills and abilities, is he needed to know who he was. He needed to know where he came from. He needed, to, he needed that foundation of memory, of knowing what came before it. And that's what knowing what God has said is for us. That's the foundation. That's the basis. That's how we can go forward, is to have that memory of what God has said. Secondly, and this is where we'll continue to verses 15 and 16 of chapter 48. We see the blessing itself that Jacob is giving to Joseph and to Joseph's sons. We'll go ahead and read verses 15 and 16. Then he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys, and may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow to be numerous within the land. We see here in this blessing, uh, first look at verse 15, that the, so the second, the second response, the first was to remember what God has said. The second is to know who God is. And we see this in verse 15, that Jacob knew who God is. And what does he say about God? He says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. That's speaking to the eternal nature of God. Hundreds of years beforehand. But it was still God. The same God as Jacob is calling on to bless his grandchildren now is the same God that Jacob's father and grandfather dealt with and were blessed by. Same God. God is eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. God is the only thing that was not created, that does not have a beginning He is unique in that. Secondly, we're going to see at, again, here in verse 15, so the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. Also in that, we see the unchanging nature of God. God not only is the God that existed for Jacob's father and grandfather, but he is the same. He has not changed He's consistent. None of us can say the same. This is, again, God alone is like this. He has existed for all this time, and he has not changed over all this time. Numbers, chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he might lie, or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act, or promise and not fulfill? Of course not. Because God is unchanging, we can take him at his word that everything he says will happen will happen exactly as he says it will. So we need to know who God is. 
We need to know who this is that is our foundation for our life, for our actions, for the decisions we make. And it's not enough just for us to, to have this vague concept in our mind, well, God is, you know, maybe he's the old man in the chair in the sky. You've heard people say these different things about God. We need to know who it is we're talking about when we say that I believe in God, I trust in God, I follow God. That can have a lot of different meanings, if, if that's all you say, without, without the knowledge of who exactly it is what we're talking about. We could be saying, I, I believe in Allah. That's a, a false god, but that's a god. We're talking about Thor, Odin, Zeus, all these false gods through the years. We need to be clear about who we're talking about when we say, we believe in God, the one true living God. And he has certain characteristics. We need to know what that is. And how do we know what that is? We have his word. He tells us. We have access to it. So we need to remember what God has said. We need to know who God is. What, what are these characteristics about him? Thirdly, we need to know what God does. So know what he has said. Remember who he is, his traits, but then what he does. And we see this starting at the second half of verse 15. We see what Jacob has to say. Look with me. He says, The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. God shepherds us. And we hear throughout Scripture God being compared to a shepherd. Jesus himself in John chapter 10 referred to himself as the good shepherd. A shepherd guides the sheep. A shepherd protects the sheep. Sheep have a tendency to wander, to go astray. They're not good at self-preservation. They need a shepherd to guide, to protect. They want the best for the sheep, much like a parent wants the best for their children. God is our shepherd. Secondly, we see at the, just the next statement here, the start of verse 16. God describes God, uh, Jacob describes God as the angel who has redeemed me from all harm. God is our redeemer. And the way Jacob talks about him, has redeemed me from all harm. Now, does that mean that Jacob has experienced no harm in his life? Jacob has never had any kind of hardship, any kind of pain, suffering, turmoil? Of course not. We've been, you know, if you've been with us regularly the last several weeks, we've been going through Jacob's life. Jacob's had a rough life. But here he is saying at the end, God has redeemed me from all of this harm. Just earlier, one chapter previously, when Jacob first came to Egypt and he was being introduced by Joseph to Pharaoh, the way he described himself, he said, my years have been few and hard. That's how Jacob described his own life. My, my days have been few and hard. So how can he say that God has redeemed him from all harm if his life has been full of harm? We see also, and this can help us understand it, we see the same attitude expressed by Joseph just a couple chapters earlier. So you can, you can flip a couple pages to your left to chapter 45. And in verses 5 through 7, we see Jacob's son Joseph express a very similar attitude that can maybe help us understand how Jacob can say, God has redeemed me from all harm, when we can see, we see the proof in the pages of the Bible how much harm was in his life. Look at what Joseph said. Chapter 45, starting at verse 5. He said, And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting, 
God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Here's Joseph, again, somebody who has gone through tremendous harm being done to him in his life that we've just recently been covering, so it should be fresh in our memories. He was had tons of harm. We'll go through it here in just a second. And he has this attitude telling his brothers, don't be mad, don't be upset that you did this to me. Because why? God sent me for this. And it had the purpose of preserving life, of preserving his covenant people. God had a positive purpose despite the harm, the great harm that was done to Joseph in his life. Now maybe for us here today, we maybe think, well, that's Joseph. That's Jacob. What does this have to do with me? The Bible's talking about them. What about me? Well, maybe you haven't had the same exact experiences as Jacob and Joseph. Maybe you were never sold by your brothers who hated you into slavery. Maybe you weren't falsely accused of rape and imprisoned. But statistically, you know, I don't, can't say it for certain, but statistically, with the number of people in this room, somebody here has been abused. Somebody here has been lied about, lied to, manipulated, had that bad diagnosis. Lost loved ones. Surely that's represented in this room. Jacob was 130 years old when he sang this. The wounds that we receive from the harm in our lives take time to heal. And they're physical wounds, mental wounds, spiritual wounds, emotional wounds. These wounds take time to heal. So if you're here today and those wounds haven't quite healed yet for you, don't think that God has abandoned you. Don't think that somehow you don't have enough faith and that's why your wounds haven't healed yet. It takes time. But what can we do? And this is the fourth thing that we as Christians can respond to God. We can trust that he'll do what he said he'll do. Look at the last half of verse 16 with me. After saying that, that God has, is this angel who has redeemed him from all harm, he says, May he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow to be numerous within the land. That is what God had promised. The offspring of Jacob are going to get to inherit this land and, and prosper and multiply. And that's what's going to happen. In Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, talking about Abraham, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, wrote that he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. When we remember what God has said, meaning we remember what he has promised, when we remember who God is, the characteristics of, of the God that we follow and worship, the one true God, when we remember what he does in our lives, what he does for us, we can trust, given all that information, we can trust that he will do what he says he's going to do. <clears throat> now, to be clear, there is great harm, potentially, and holding God to promises that he hasn't given. 
That's the cause of a great many of people falling away from the faith, holding resentment against God, because they're expecting him to do something that he hasn't promised to do. There is no promise of no harm. There is no promise of no pain, no suffering. So when we expect that, if we're expecting that from God, we will be disappointed when it doesn't happen. But he never promised that. Many false teachers will promise that, will say that God has promised that. They are dead wrong. So here's just a few things what God has promised that relate well to what we're talking about today. First, God made a promise to us about the trials that we go through, the difficulties in life. He made a promise, and here's what he said. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he wrote, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. When we train physically our bodies, whether it's lifting, whether it's cardio, whether it's running, all these kinds of trainings we do, it hurts at a certain point because we're breaking our bodies down so that it can build itself back up stronger. In the same way, we as Christians, when we suffer, when we go through these trials, when, let's be frank, when times suck, God is building us up. It builds endurance. We can handle it better the next time. Further, what God has to say about these negative experiences in our lives, the results of which we see here in Romans 8, 28, where God wrote, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. This is a promise for we who are Christians. Not that all things are good. There's a very deliberate phrasing of the way the Spirit wrote this through Paul. It's not that all things are good. It's that all things work together for the good. That good being what James told us, that strengthening, that endurance building, that completion that God is working in us. That is a promise of God. And finally, we we live here in the here and now. So what, what do we do in the here and now knowing that there's this promise that there's, there's endurance building, there's growth, there's strengthening happening as a, result, as a result of these negative experiences, what we have is hope for the future. We see that future in the book of Revelation, particularly I'm looking at chapter 21, verse 4, where we see this description of what life is like for those of us who are in the new heaven and new earth. This is a time after sin has been eradicated, after evil has been defeated, The only inhabitants of the new heaven and new earth are the followers of God and God. And we see here in verse 4, he describes it as, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Talking about us who will be there. Every tear wiped away. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things, where we are now, have passed away. Sin will be eradicated. The vast majority, if we're thinking about it, if we think about it, the vast majority of these negative experiences in our lives, not all, but most, are as a result of sin. We do, as people, we are the ones harming each other. We lie about each other. We steal from each other. We assault each other. We murder each other. We abuse each other. 
It's us. There are natural disasters and illnesses, but for the most part, it's us hurting each other. We see here in a picture of the future of the new heaven and new earth that God is creating for the first time in human history is the first time that we will be together and not harming each other. We will be together in the new heaven and new earth, but because sin has been eradicated, evil has been destroyed, we won't be hurting each other. For the first time since the first days of Adam and Eve, people will be together and not hurting each other. What a beautiful sight that we have of our future. This is a promised future. So we have hope to get through the tough times because we can trust God that he will do what he promised and what great promises he has given us. You see, as we go further in the passage, next week as Adam wraps up the book of Genesis, we'll see as we go on in that, how God has con- will continue to bless the family of Jacob. That family are our, our spiritual predecessors. They are our forerunners as God's covenant people. We'll see how God continues to bless them. Now, as we've seen these four responses, just a couple of notes of how we can apply this to our lives, how we can walk out of here changed because of, of what we have learned from God's word this morning. First, To know what God has said. We touched on this a little bit already. We have a very easy path to know what God has said by reading it. We have it. It's easily accessible. If you don't have a physical copy, you can get it online for free. Tons of different ways. We have God's word available to us. Many faithful translations. You can almost throw your dart at a wall of translations. You can find one that's a faithful interpretation of God's word that will bless you. Be in God's word. My dad... You know, coming back to the parents, my dad, he always told us as kids, spend five minutes a day in God's Word. Five minutes a day. I will tell you it took me almost 30 years to finally start listening to that. But five minutes a day. I'm finally at the point where I can now speak with authority on this because I started doing it. Five minutes a day will change your life. If you can spend five minutes a day in God's Word, it will change your life. We spend so much time on other things. And I'm, I'm just as guilty as anyone else. I spend a lot of time in entertainment, and other things like that. Surely we can give five minutes a day to the Word of God. And it will help us with all of these things. Next, to know who God is. Again, comes back to the Word. There's going to be a recurring theme here. We go to the Word to know who God is. Who this is that we put our faith in. Who this is that strengthens us, that builds that endurance in us despite the trials, despite the bad times. And again, coming back, this is a recurring theme, to know what God does, our shepherd, our redeemer, and far more. That's not all that God is, but we see a harder passage as our shepherd, as our redeemer. Go to the word to see who God is and what he does for us. And finally, because of these things, we know who he is, we know what he does, we know what he has said, we can trust him. When things get rough, not if, but when things get rough, when disappointment comes into our lives, when tragedy comes into our lives, when we are abused or someone we love is abused, we don't lose faith in what God has promised. We look for the good. And this is, to be clear, this is not an easy thing when we're going through the suffering. So just, I'm not throwing this out there like it's supposed to be some easy thing to do. But it's a challenge to us, even in the tough times, to look for what God is doing to fulfill his promises in this. How is this building my endurance? How is this strengthening me? 
It's tough, but it's, it's the fact. In my grandmother's maturity, she drug my dad to church. It didn't save him. Dra- you know, dr- dragging, drugging, dra- drugging or dragging somebody to church is not sufficient to save them. As much as, as parents, as people who care about children or, or care about friends, we wish it would be as easy as just getting them in the door. But it certainly doesn't hurt. My grandma drugging my dad to church did not save him, but it helped. As a result of that, he had knowledge of God. He was in a position to hear about God, to learn about God, to interact with people who loved God. My grandma passed uh, in the last couple months, and right before she did, she had sent me a Bible. She lived up in Washington State, the Seattle area. She sent me a Bible, um, and uh, it's engraved with her name right here. And it's just, you know, it's not the one I'm preaching at today. It's not the translation I'm using, but I, I wanted it here with me. It's a constant reminder for me. I'm going to hang on to this Bible for as long as I possibly can because it's a constant reminder for me that God, about who God is. God is the same now as when he delivered Jacob and Joseph. The same as when Christ was sacrificed. The same as when my dad was being drugged to church. The same as when I was drugged to church because my parents did the same thing. I was drugged to church. Up to now, when we are all here now, perhaps some of us here have been drugged to church this morning. It's okay. But you're here now. You're hearing about God. You've heard about who He is, what He has done. He loves us. He loves His children. He shepherds us. He redeems us from our harm. If you're here today and you're already a believer, we can be emboldened. We can be strengthened by knowing and reminding ourselves what God has said, what he, who he is, what he has done, and trust him. We can be challenged as we leave here in just a few minutes to go to God's word all the more. We can also share these things with those that we run into, our neighbors, our friends, our family, strangers. And we hope that by the grace of God, that they will similarly, same way my dad did, same way I did, Respond to God in faith. If you're here today and you're not a believer, if you feel the Spirit working in your heart, calling you to respond to God, to what He has done, and trust Him, don't don't ignore it. Respond in faith. Please, pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank You so much for Your Word, for the way that you provide all of the answers to these questions to us. We just have to go to it. For telling us who you are. For telling us what you do for us. For loving us. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who is struggling with these things, struggling, going through suffering, struggling, going through pain, disappointment. Father, I I pray for them that you will stir their heart to remember what it is that you have said and done and promised and to give the hope for the future that is ahead where these things will be no more. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. 
We are located at 8200 State Line Road in Leawood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music